Welcome back, watchers. This is tonight's watch with Mark, Luke, and Tony. If this is your first time, here's how it goes. One of us chooses a movie each week. This week was Tony's choice with The Grand Budapest Hotel, the 2014 Wes Anderson, wow, Wes Anderson film, and he will give us a spoiler spoiler alert filled synopsis. We will give all of our ratings for the movie, and then we will go into the analysis of the film before I tease the next week's choice by giving the other two hints. Thank you for watching with us, and if you enjoy this episode, consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And we are going to go into the film synopsis, so Tony, take it away. It's the 1930s. In the imaginary country of Sabroska, we are introduced to the Grand Budapest Hotel, and a concierge named Gustav that works there, who he has a thing for old rich ladies, and by old, I mean almost dead, literally. Gustav prides himself on providing first-class service to the hotel's guests, and he most definitely provides some first-class service to Madame D, a wealthy old woman who is in love with him. Gustav takes on a junior lobby boy, a refugee named Zero, after the death of Madame D, Gustave finds himself willed a priceless painting entitled Boy with Apple. He finds himself, however, framed by her greedy, deceptive son, Adrian Brody, for her death. And Gustave ends up in prison. With the help of Zero, Zero's future wife, Agatha, a baker's daughter, some concierges, prison friends, and of course, Pinky, Gustave escapes prison and finds out that Madame D had a second will in the event of her death by murder. Gustav, Zero, and Agatha then maneuver through a now Nazi-occupied Grand Budapest Hotel to find the second will, defeat Dimitri, aka Adrian Brody, and live happily ever after, except not. We then find out Zero becomes an acclaimed author and ends up inheriting everything after the death of Gustav. That was incredible. Very nice, very nice. Uh, you want to give your rating for it first, Tony. My rating for the Grand Budapest Hotel is a 9.1. I think this is a very unique movie that is pretty artsy, but doesn't rely on that by itself. It has a lot of good comedy bits. I found myself laughing out loud. And I think depending on how you like Wes Anderson style, you can give this... A 7.5 and up, because it's just a good movie. So this was a movie I first saw in film class with a bunch of wannabe artists that love to stroke Wes Anderson's ego. It made me hate this movie and despise it, and this was my first time watching it since. You could say this was a Grand Buddha test to see if I was just being a wow. hater back then. <laughs> Ooh, that's and a good it one. turns nice out one. I was 8.6 out of 10. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> I'm you, proud. Luke. I'm proud. I thought this was directed really well, and the set design and production design is top-notch. The colors pop, which I really like. The dialogue is good, and it's a nice comedy movie that, uh, like Tony said, I don't think gets too artsy at times, even though it is. So I gave it an 8.8 8 out of 10. I liked it a lot. We're all around the same... I think whether you like Wes Anderson's style or not, I think it's enough of a not super artsy movie that people can find it enjoyable. 
like I was saying, when I watch this in film class, they would pause it and literally review every single shot, and every person was like, oh my god, Wes Anderson is such a genius, you know? And then it just gets tedious, and it made me not enjoy watching it. So I didn't like it the first time. But then, that was about, f- like, four years ago, three, four years ago, and I went in with a completely, like, open mindset, and I actually don't think it was too over the top with the artsy stuff. I think it did it perfectly and everything was integrated really well. And I actually really enjoyed it. I think if you really like like the symmetrical shots, all the colors, all the sets, like the micro or I guess they're macro models of like the different, like uh hotel, like the outer hotel, how it's just like a built model or like when they're going up the ski lift and stuff like that, then you'll really enjoy the movie. And if you don't really care for it, it's still a good movie. You just like might not rate it eight to nine. You might rate it like a seven and a half. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. And See, this, good. This is the only Wes Anderson film I've seen. I think so. so. Me too. I me don't too. know how his other movies are, but I did like this one. I have seen, I think, the Great Tenenbaums, but it was a long time ago, so I don't remember anything of it. I think I also saw was it Moonlight Kingdom. Is that uh, one of them? Yeah, so it's Moonrise Kingdom and Moonrise Ro- Kingdom. Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen those two very long time ago. Don't remember anything about them. But I remember this being my most favorite Wes Anderson film. Hey-o. Hey-o. You want to go ahead and start with the plot, Tony? All right. So we kick it off, and there's this author that we get introduced to in the beginning. And we later find out that it is Jude Law, who is talking about an experience he had when he visited the Grand Budapest Hotel. And just before we even get into the plot, I do want to talk about the aspect ratios in this scene and the scene subsequent. So we start out with like this modern time period where this girl is just visiting this like cemetery and we see like all these keys on this gravestone for like the whole like concierge, the what is it called? Uh, Luke. All right. Yeah, concierge. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the the whole all the concierges. How oh, they yeah. like are a band. The Society of the Crossed Keys. That what it yes. Is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's of the what I was gonna keys. say. I was just about to say that. We find see this girl and she's like taking this book called the Grand Budapest Hotel to the cemetery and she putting a key on this like gravestone with all these keys and we know it's a reference from later on in the movie of the society of the cross keys and when we start off it's just like regular 16 by 9 like it's just a regular like 16 by 9 well actually it's more like what imax like the filled out complete if it fills out completely it's imax but might not be filmed with imax cameras it just has that aspect ratio i'm not sure yeah so it's like i don't know the exact aspect ratio but it like modern day it's like the imax is completely filled out and then we get brought back to 1985 to where like Jude Law's character is like an old guy and then it's filmed in 1.85 to 1 or 16 by 9 and he's talking about his story of his time visiting the Grand Budapest Hotel and just the story of the Grand Budapest Hotel overall and then we jump back again to 1968 and then the aspect ratio changes again to 2.35 by 1 or 21 by 9 which was like made standard during that time like in the 1960s until we jump into like finally where the story's taking place in 1932 where the aspect ratio is 1.37 to 1 or 4 by 3 
which was liked, also made standard by like the 1930s. I liked that it changed with the time periods. I, I thought it was a good choice. I like when um, directors do that well. So I'm not going to say that Michael Bay did it well in Transformers 5. That was, an, that was straight up an accident. <laughs> but I like it uh, in this movie a lot <laughs> when it switches time periods. So Tony and the audience, what Luke is referring to is in Transformers 5, Michael Bay would shoot a dialogue scene between two people but use an IMAX camera behind one person and then a normal camera behind somewhere, someone else. So when in during the dialogue scene, it would change aspect ratios. So that was a complete accident. And uh, Wes Anderson obviously didn't do that because he actually pays attention when he makes movies. And um, I thought this was a good way to just like to just throw us in the type of style this movie is going to be because it's very unorthodox in a good way, like in an artsy way. But I really like having different aspect ratios to show the different time periods because I think it's cool when you like go back watch like a Twilight Zone episode or something and you have a different aspect ratio. So doing that throughout this movie really helps you get put into that time period instead of it just telling you what time period it is. I agree. When you go through like these different time periods and the aspect ratio changes, it kind of looks like you're watching a film from those time periods. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a great way to like, because that started off really early in the movie, right? Like almost immediately. Yeah, that was almost immediately. That's like five minutes in and yeah. we start changing aspect ratios. Yeah, and um, even, like, the first couple shots, I wrote down that it had really good um, symmetry and really good camera angles when she was walking up to the cemetery. And you're just like, wow, the cinematography is really nice in this movie. So even if the plot wasn't there, which I think it is, um, I don't think it has the best plot of any movie of all time, but it's a good kind of... I wouldn't say simple, but it's like okay, he's getting framed for something even though it's his, you know, it's like, you know, always know what's happening. It's not complex per se, but it's always fun to watch. And I think it's also a pretty short movie too. Yeah. And I think that works really well with it where it doesn't overstay its welcome for sure. I also wanted to say when the girl walks up to the cemetery, it like, uh, it introduces the setting in big block letters that it's the old Lutz cemetery and he does that throughout this movie. He seems to label everything in the hotel, <laughs> and I liked it. Uh, I thought it looked really nice. Like, instead of, like, a caption saying it was the cemetery, it was just in big block letters on the wall she was walking up to. Yeah, it was, like, painted on the bricks of the walls to the cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, instead of um, having two different fonts, am I right? You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Little, uh... Reference to our old podcast about the last movie. (laughs) So good, so good. All right, you can continue, Tony. So I think a strong part of this movie is a lot of the dialogue. I think the dialogue is written really well and it's really funny. And I think that's kind of what carries a lot of the movie and makes it like funny and like brings the comedic aspect of it. And just the way everything's written for the dialogue is like really nice. It all plays with each other well. Like I really liked the scene where we see uh, Jude Law as an older man and some bratty kid. Like he comes up with like a toy gun and he shoots him, and Jude Law is yelling at him. And then the kid comes back and it's like, "Oh, sorry." And then Jude, <laughs> Jude Law's character is like, "Oh, it's all right." Oh yeah, we see a lot of movies start that way too, with someone talking to the camera. You know that kind of trope. 
and I, I think that's what really brought me into this movie in the first place because, you know, I've had a bad experience with this movie before, and I, I started liking the aspect ratios, but then we get to that part where he's, like, talking to the camera, and then he just, like, so shithead comes in and shoots his dad, you know, while he's, like, talking to this camera. And I thought, I actually laughed at it, and I was like, oh my god, that was actually kind of funny, you know. It was super random and not what you expected. And this movie has a lot of those things, if you know what I'm talking about with the fingers. But, you know, that kind of thing, that unexpected, really works really well. Yeah, it, like, breaks it up in a really funny way. But then it, like, reels you back in right afterwards, too. Yes, and I also like the way the the camera moves during it. Like, it was like, when the kid shot him, it, it, like, jerked the camera that way. Because he, like, kind of came in randomly and he wasn't supposed to be there. I, I like the way the camera moved whenever stuff like that would happen. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I it was yeah. Uh, funny. <laughs> One of my favorite There's camera angles comes late, later, and they do it multiple times on a motorcycle. So remind me to talk about that, because I really okay, like those okay. shots. But okay. after he talks to the camera, we just get a shot of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And I kind of like that it looks fake, and then they have a different shot of it again, and it's like a real hotel. Well, this is where they use, like, the miniatures, right? Yeah, yeah, and but then it kind of, like, become the movie becomes, like, what they're seeing. So it just looks like that's how they're representing it, and I like that. And then it changes later and shows the actual one, but I kind of like the showing the little, um, what, diagram or whatever of it. So we move on. It's 1968. Jude Law is an author, and he's staying at the Grand Budapest Hotel, and he walks up. And he sees Jason Schwartzman, who's the concierge now, and they're talking about, you know, the author who owns the hotel. And then, boom, there he is. Zero, except now he's old. And he's uh, sitting there in the lobby, and Jude Law's talking to Jason Schwartzman about him. And I think the scenes that followed this, I really liked. It's like a lot of symmetrical shots with, like, Jude Law walking up the stairs or, like, with Boy with Apple the painting, which becomes very important later on, and, like, the keys on either side, and I really like how they uh, shot it. I like that they um, also started with Jude Law, and you kind of think he might be a main character, and then he's kind of not in it at all, and it goes to Zero and someone that Zero knew and taught him. And, like, when you get introduced to this character first, but then he's actually just the listener, so he's basically the the audience surrogate where he gets told all the, this information that we're seeing. And I kind of like that where it wasn't about him because I really liked zero and Gustav's story. I also liked how the plot is split up into the girl in the cemetery is reading Jude Law's book. Jude Law is that then learned it from zero who's now Mustafa. And then Mustafa tells it from like Gustav that tells the story about Gustav. I liked how it got split up like that. How it, there were different layers. It's like just a story being passed on. Yeah, yes. every, everything led to the next thing about it, which I really liked. I think this next scene kind of like encapsulate like the vibe of this entire movie. A man starts choking and then we just get a zoom in on Jason Schwartzman like super tight and he's like, shit. And then he like runs behind, like from under the counter and he's like trying to help this choking man. And it's like, like this like random comedic moment that just like pulls you out and like makes you laugh at it. Yes, and I think that's what this movie does super well and what keeps me invested is it does that quite a bit. It already did that a little bit with the camera moving with the kid shooting the gun. 
and it does it here and it does it throughout the entire movie. And I think it's super effective way to do comedy to almost make this movie a comedy, but really it's presented in a way that's like, it's almost presented as if it's not a comedy and they, but they throw such funny stuff in there and so frequent that it becomes a comedy. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't want to say a tragedy because it kind of is kind of isn't, but like, there's enough dialogue and comedic aspects where you could, I could probably list this as a comedy movie. Right. But it, it's I kind say of it's pres- a comedy. I'd yeah. say it's a comedy, but it's kind of like, it, it's not presented to you that way. Yeah, definitely not. And I think that's why it works so well as a comedy instead of just having a straight up goofball movie that we get so many of. So we move on and Jude Law's in the bath of the hotel and he's taking a bath Turns out that Zero or Mustafa is actually in like a bath two rows down. Jude Law inquires about how he got the hotel and stuff. And uh, Zero says, if you really want to know, let's have dinner tonight. So they go to dinner and they start talking about how he acquired the hotel and the story of the hotel. And this is where we go to 1932, the actual year where most of the events take place. Yeah, I really like that they changed the narrator to Zero or Mustafa now. That it, it wasn't just, oh, it's a different time period. It's changed from Jude Law's character being the narrator to Mustafa being the narrator. So it's how everyone was told certain things, which I really liked. I also liked uh, how the movie is split up into parts like that. Because as he starts describing it, it's then part one. Uh, M. Gustav, I think. I like how the movie was split up like that. Yeah, it's almost split up like a play in that kind of sense. Yes, and I like that. (laughs) So we start off, it's 1932, and we're introduced to this character named M. Gustav. And I don't think we ever find out what the M stands for, right? Because everyone just calls him, like, Monsieur Gustav. I think that's what the M does stand for. for. Yeah, I think it's I thought Monsieur was, like, Mr. It is, and that's what yeah. M Oh, okay. <laughs> because they did the same thing with Jason Schwartz's character. It was M something. And then, okay, uh, okay. then M they Sergei, right? Yeah. Later yeah, on. Yeah. So I think it just, his name is Gustav, his first name is. Okay, so we see him, and he's having, like, lunch or brunch or something with Tilda Swinton's character. And she's, yes. like, playing this very, very old yes. lady <laughs> who's in love with him. But and it, I, I actually did not know that it was Tilda Swinton. I also did not Who know that. Who is Tilda Swinton? Do you? I think the only thing you've ever that I've ever seen her in, other than this, is Doctor Strange. She's the head. Uh, what do you call it? Is she the the person one? who the teaches bald him? The yeah, bald the bald one. one. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I knew her other than that movie. So. The bald one. Okay, she was <laughs> also in from? Narnia. Also yeah, in Snowpiercer. You with Snowpiercer. Something's <laughs> going on there. Um, I just have her uh, IMDb. Oh, I pulled up. That's the second time this podcast you've mentioned Snowpiercer. So, um, go ahead. I thought the makeup, like just like the costume and the makeup on her was like really well done because she's not an old lady at all. I honestly thought she was because I didn't know who played her. I just thought it was an old lady. Me too. <laughs> and it did win the Oscar for makeup and hairstyling. I think for that reason. <laughs> I mean, she's 60, yeah. but she doesn't look 60. And Mm-mm. back when this was filmed was, what, seven years ago? So she was 53. And in this, like, depiction of her in this movie, she's, like, 80-something. 
Like she's real old. Yeah, but Gustav still wants some of that. So oh, Gustav oh, still Gustav. Wants some. So <laughs> Gustav. So they say yeah. Gustav has this thing for like old people who are vain uh, and like rich and blonde. But she's like she has a white hair, which is funny. Like she's that old. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that starts to get into like where you realize how weird this movie's gonna be. Not only with the style of it, but just the plot. Like here's our main character, and he's like totally banging this 80 year old lady and yeah. it's just normal for him and it's just like okay that's the kind of movie we're getting into and i think it's a super like in your face thing and it's like oh my god but then it really gets you into like what this movie's gonna be like and i think it did it well i think for a lot of my notes it's like a lot of dialogue because that's what i really took from this movie right like uh He's having lunch with her and then he's like having this serious conversation with her because she's having this premonition that like, oh, I fear this is going to be the last time I see you because she thinks she's going to die or something. And then it like gets completely interrupted and Gustav says, oh, dear God, what have you done to your fingernails? And then she's like, what? You don't like them? And then he's like, well, it's not that I don't like them. It's just that I'm physically repulsed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, go ahead, go ahead. the editing is really good between the dialogue because it like cuts really quick between the characters and i think it adds to it well and i think it was luke I, i'm not sure if it was you or tony who said that this is kind of like a play but i think it's basically like a play that just takes place way too many like um settings and so it's almost made into a movie. That's the kind of feeling it has. Is like, okay, they always have this dialogue with some sort of insane set behind them, but they do so many different ones, and it's cut so quick that it almost seems like a play almost adapted because there's so many different things happening. Yeah, most definitely. It's like, like originally it's written as a movie. Of course, there's like no play about it, but it just fe- has that no, like no, no, feeling to like it. it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we have... Tilda Swinton's character, Madame D, leaving. And I really liked this camera shot where as she's leaving, we just see the, like, this frame of Gustav. And, like, we're just looking at him as if we were her. And then the car just moves and the camera moves as if it's in the car. Yeah, I liked that. I, I, there's a lot of things I have notes later on about uh, Wes Anderson's directing that I really liked with this. But that I also liked that part. I think he tries to do the most he can in almost every single scene. It doesn't seem like any shot was B-roll. It seems like he was there having an artistic vision behind every single shot, which I really appreciate. I also liked this uh, next coming part where uh, she gives him money and then she wants him to light a candle at the sacristy of Santa Maria, right? And, like, pray for her and stuff. And it's, like, something very serious, but uh, it, like, adds to this comedic part later. Like, right after she leaves, Gustav's talking to Zero, this lobby boy, and he says she was, like, she's really scared. She was shaking like a shitting dog. And then Zero, what he, like, does in this movie a lot that I find that Wes Anderson inserts it at the right parts to make it funny. All, all he says is, truly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked the dialogue between Gustav and Zero. Well, and he's a bellboy. Yes. To his yes. hotel. So he's, he's... A lobby boy. Lobby, lobby sorry, boy. Sorry, lobby boy. So he's, like, he knows how to restrain himself and, like, be very, like, careful with his words. And he just always goes back to Truly, which I thought was pretty funny. I also liked how Gustav is supposed to be, like, his, like, um, 
trait is that he's a professional concierge, but he uses very vulgar language, and that's oh, like yeah. the it's very comedic funny. part of it. I liked it. And Rafe Fanes, I think it's how you pronounce it. I had is to it look Fanes? it up. I think it's Fines. I think it's Rafe Fines. Okay. Because when I looked it up, it said Fanes. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but but uh, I liked his performance a lot in this. This is his first uh, comedy thing that I've seen him do. I like. I just see him play the villain almost all the time. every actor's <laughs> performance in this, and yes, I think that's like a funny good. thing that happens throughout the movie is like accents don't really matter. Everyone just like speaks how they do regularly, but it like you think it take away from it, but I think it actually makes it hilarious. Like every time you see like hear Adrian Brody speak, and it's just his voice saying the lines. I think it's so funny. I think it's yeah because. Th- it adds to the artistic style that this whole movie has, but I also really liked um, the actor who plays Zero. I, I don't know his name. What's his name? Tony Revelori, I believe. Yeah, I really liked him because I've only seen him as Flash Thompson from yeah. Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movies, and he's just a fucking chode in those movies. And so it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like, wow, this guy fucking sucks, and he's just playing a bully, but... I had forgotten that he was even in this movie because I, you know, blocked this out of my brain. And I thought he did a really good job being, like, good during those comedic scenes and having really good comedic timing with Ray Fiennes. I saw this movie, and I thought his acting was really impressive. Like, wow, he's going to be a big actor. And I'm surprised to see that he hasn't been in, like, a lot of other big roles. It is strange that he's just in Spider-Man right now, right? Um, He's going to be in the next Wes Anderson movie called The French Dispatch. And... It's going to be, like, all the Wes Anderson usuals. So, like, Adrian Brody and everyone else. (laughs) Wes Anderson likes to have these actors. And once he has these actors, he likes to use them a lot in, like, the rest of his movies. Well, and, yeah, I I know uh, Adrian Brody comes in later in the movie. He's actually one of those actors that I don't love, but I think he works in this movie. I think everyone really works to their strengths during this movie. Even, like... The actors who, or I guess he was the only actor that I don't like, per se. There's one actor that I think doesn't work in this movie, and he's one of the Wes Anderson usuals, but I'll get to him when we get Is it to Defoe? Him. I was going to no, ask if... No, I was going to say, because I thought Defoe was amazing. I loved Will Smith. I, thought, I was going to say I liked him. It was so him. hilarious. <laughs> I was he also... Was so- uh, I was going to scream if you said Agatha, too, because Sarah Sharon no, not is, Agatha. like, top actresses. So. Wow, chef's kiss. <laughs> chef's, chef's kiss, kiss. yeah. <laughs> We'll get to that when we get to that, though. I also liked this joke inserted in here where Gustav is telling Zero to go light the candle for him. And if there's any change left, give it to the crippled shoeshine boy. And, like, there's, like, really no reason to have this guy. But it's just so funny seeing this crippled shoeshine boy They put so much time to put put on the makeup and, like, just have that scene set up just for, like, literally two seconds. I think we see him. (laughs) I think we just see him standing in the background of another shot again oh really yeah but i think it's like only like two shots we ever see it and it's like not funny he's like a poor little crippled shoeshine boy but it's so funny just like randomly it's it's not funny that he's crippled it's funny how they implement him in this movie yes yeah for sure for sure uh we also get to this next scene where uh gustav is interviewing zero about his like about him being the lobby boy there and then you know they're all talking and it's like experience and then he'll like give his experience and then he's like blah blah i was this i was this for a couple months i was this for a couple months and then gustav would say zero and then he's like education and then zero would say oh i taught myself how to read and write blah 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 and then gustav says zero and then gustav asks family and then zero just looks at him and then he says 
zero. Oh man, that pulled at my heartstrings. Oi. So <laughs> it, it that's honestly almost exactly like zero from holes too. Yeah, the whole exactly. like he is a zero, and it, it's so sad, you know. But then you relate to this character almost immediately, and you feel for him and want him to succeed. Like I guess you want Gustav too, but he's kind of, he's like a douchey person on purpose. And so he's fun to watch, you know, but Zero's actually like a good person that you root for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I liked the directing in that scene because everybody's asking Gustav questions about the hotel while he's interviewing Zero. I just like the way it follows uh, Gustav and Zero while that's all happening. I liked that. It's a good way to show like how much Gustav does with the hotel, like how much he has to run it. So how much like like, how involved he is. Yeah. 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 So then we get to uh, Gustav and Zero, and they uh, go to Madame D. Sweet again, and there's a letter for him with a lipstick kiss on it, and he opens it up, and there's money inside. And uh, Zero asks, were you ever a lobby boy, sir? And then he says, what do you think? And then Zero says, well, I suppose he had a start. And then Gustav interrupts him and says, oh, go light the goddamn candle. Yeah, because you would think that Zero's character would be like, oh, no, he's way too high of a standard. But Zero just kind of calls him out immediately. Like, well, of course you had to start. And not what usual characters would do to someone they hold to such a high standard. And this think, gets, yeah. this is an important line for the end of the movie, too. Yes, the foreshadowment is real here. Foreshadowment. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of, like, switch to, like, this... Uh, I don't want to say a training montage, but it's kind of like a training montage of Zero, Rocky like Force style. being a good of course. <laughs> lobby boy. Like he's doing all these lobby boy things, and it's like trying to progress and show that he's uh, doing well and stuff. And Ooh, then, yeah, there's a shot I really like in here. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, where you see where he's sleeping, and it's disgusting. And I was about to say that. that yeah. And <laughs> then you realize what kind of conditions he lives in, but then he's still so ecstatic to go to work. And it's like, holy shit, like, he's not even getting paid enough to live somewhere nice. Because that, that's not in the hotel, is it? I don't I know, because we get cut to where Gustav stays, right. and it's also, like, a shitty little place. But that's, I, I think it's in the hotel. I oh. think it is in the hotel, because it's just servants' quarters. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I, I liked, because, you know, how the colors pop in every scene? Like, especially with yeah, the hotel, definitely. and this one, the colors are all yucky it's like desaturated too almost yeah like Zack schneider directed it all right so we move on right and i think this is the part where after this whole training montage and also a montage of like gustav providing his first class service to other like old rich ladies right and uh oh you know how he is you know how he is (laughs) <laughs> we get to a zero and he's bringing like a stack of newspapers back to the hotel. He reads it and then he rushes up, goes to Gustav's and then uh, turns out Madame D is dead. I like that the big headline was about war and they immediately ignored it and zoomed down to about Madame D. Yeah, apparently like Wes Anderson, part. like when he like puts those like into his movie, he actually like. Like, if you pause it and read it, it's, like, a full-fledged-out story and everything and all, like, these little documents. And okay, I think that that's a little bit over the top for me. I like the documents that appear later in the film because they're, uh, they add to the world and to the story. And, like, some of them are pretty funny. 
you know, foreshadowing about the fingers again. But that I thought that document was also really funny. Was there foreshadowing about the fingers? No, I'm foreshadowing to the fingers. I'm saying when oh, like okay. that actually happens, oh, there's I a see, document see, see. about oh, it. That, I, I like yeah. that document, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we switch to Zero and Gustav, and they're on this train heading over to Madame D's house because she had just died, and they're going to attend her funeral and stuff. And I like this line of dialogue of Gustav talking to Zero about Madame D. He says, she was dynamite in the sack, by the way. And then Zero says... She was 84 months old, Gustav. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh Again, God, Gustav. I, Gustav, man. I mean, I'm not judging, but Gustav, come on. He has, like, he, like, says it. He, like, says it in such a way, too. Like, in a he's good like, way. Yeah, and he, like, is pretty, like, uh, descriptive about about it, too. Yeah, he's, there's no shame. There's not a shameful bone in his body about it. Yeah, he said, he said, I've had older. Oh, yeah. God. He's almost proud of it. This it's is like, the light. Yeah, he like he really likes these older women. He's just proud of it for some reason. That yeah. Funny. Is this when they get invaded by the the so-called Nazis, even though they're not really Nazis? In no, I think this is just the police. Okay. This is just the police in this scene. Later, don't some of them? No, no, it's Adrian Brody's character that starts becoming, right? There's something that alludes to Nazis that's not actually Nazis, correct? Yes. Uh, but yeah. that, this is not it. They get stopped when they get stopped this time. It's just the regular okay. like police border check or soldier, I guess, border, like, uh, yeah. border check uh, because they're at war. Well, I'm they called them soldiers. That's why I was kind of confused if it was... Yeah, these are like just the gray uniform guys, which right. is like the soldiers of Zabrowski. Okay. I also liked when the soldiers come into frame, they're slid into frame right as one month uh no wait right as a uh, closing of the f- frontier slides into frame i thought it was a good directing choice um i thought that was pretty cool and then the same thing happens later in the movie uh when it's like shot the same way yes it's shot and the this same is way. when it's replaced by nazis yes i see i see okay well this time it's just soldiers and then we get a cameo from the one and only the good hulk Edward Norton, <laughs> and um, he doesn't really act in much anymore because apparently he's a big douchebag. So yeah. I like that he yep. has a little part in this movie because he, like Fight Club's one of my favorite movies, and I really like him. Yeah. I like his Bruce Banner more than Mark Ruffalo. I might be the only person, but uh, I actually really like him as an actor, even though he's a douche. And so it was kind of nice surprise to see him, you know, because he never acts in anything anymore. Yeah, I like his character in this one, too, in this movie. I like that it was a small part, like you said, and it's kind of toned down, because usually his parts, he's mentally ill. Well, because he's so <laughs> In good a lot at, of his movies. Yeah, yeah, so Fight Club, he's mentally ill. American and, History X, he's oh my crazy, God. man. Yeah. He's a, a Nazi in that. He's a neo-Nazi, yeah. yeah. It's and, bad. Um, and an incredible Hulk, like he has to act like he's going fucking, you know, like batshit. And this yeah. one, I like that he's just a soldier, and it's toning him down a lot. And I like that because that's not what we're used to seeing, and it, so it's like even a bigger surprise. And I really like this scene because Gustav really goes out of his way to protect Zero. It's not just, and then this is where you really feel the bond of their friendship forming. Because he's like, no, you're not going to fuck with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, 
the soldiers ask for papers and Gustav gives his and Zero pulls out his. There's like some ripped up crumply piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gustav goes out of his way to be like... Yeah, they end up mm-hmm. both getting like slammed into the wall with like yeah. bloody noses and stuff. And then but that's Gustav, when Edward like, Norton's character comes in. Right. Well, when we start this movie, you might not think Gustav would be that kind of person because he kind of seems self-centered. And then, but you kind of feel how much he likes Zero and kind of views Zero Zero almost as like a son, you know, but this is where that friendship really starts to form. Oh yeah, most definitely. I like, uh, so Hankels knows Gustav and so he's like doing him a favor and he gives Zero a pass and he gives him like this little sheet of paper. I like it. What the piece of paper says, it says, let it be known the bearer of this document shall be permitted free and unmolested travel yeah jesus christ (laughs) oh wes anderson yeah he really has a way with words right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this is where like uh so they're both sitting there after all these soldiers come in and they like slammed them into the wall so they have bloody noses and this happens a lot throughout the movie is gustav starts saying a poem like he just starts saying you see, yes, there's yes. still flint gimmers of civilizations yep. uh, left in the barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Indeed, that's when we provide in our modest, humble, insignificant. And then he just cuts himself off. He's like, oh, fuck it. And then he starts drinking. Yes, they have this I, like, I like that. a couple times, like probably three times they start a poem or something like that. This one wasn't necessarily a poem. This was like a monologue. Sure. But it was like, but, still like that yeah. same vein. Yeah, and, and that was one of my hit picks for this movie for sure. Y- yes. I My hit picks was it gets cut off almost all of them until the end. And then, yeah. and then the poems are read all the way through. Well, and a lot of these directors who hold themselves to a high standard and really like their own dialogue, like Quentin Tarantino... So I like Quentin Tarantino's movies, but there's a lot of moments like that that don't get cut off and they just like drag on, you know, where it's just like continued dialogue. And I really like that every time they're going to have a moment like that, they're like, nope, get back to the action. Yeah, it's almost like trying to like show off their writing chops, right? Yeah. And then what Wes Anderson does that's so funny is he always like cuts it off with like something in this movie. And then this is like, it's just like, oh, fuck it. And like Gustav gives up. Yeah, where this movie could be super self-indulgent. Because that's what I thought it was the first time. But it kind of seems like, especially in those scenes, that it's almost like the opposite. Where he's just like, no, let's just get back to the story. I'm not like going to showcase my writing skills until the end because then it actually is a better story. you know. Like, And then it comes back to it at the end. Which I liked a whole lot better than every time some moment happens, there's some monologue. you know. Showing yeah, I'm talking about like self-indulgent. What I really like that Wes Anderson does is he keeps the movie short because like a lot of these other directors like Quentin Tarantino with like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he'll just like drag it out for way too long. And it just seems like such a long movie that has such long time in between each scene and like such a long dialogue that doesn't really need to be that long. And it seems like these scenes stretch for out like way too long and he's too self-indulgent and it makes it a worse movie. I'm going to say it. Kill Bill didn't need two parts, okay? <laughs> I still need to see those. Oh, uh, you don't. It's I like I like what Quentin Tarantino does in like Django and in Glorious Bastards. I know he drags it out, but I liked it in those movies. I didn't like it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm glad oh, yeah. Wes Anderson didn't do that. 
<laughs> I like how that movie. whole that whole conversation was about Quentin Tarantino, and then you barely dragged it back to Wes Anderson at the end. But it was a transition. <laughs> it's a nice segue. Nice segue. Nice, there segue. is like a couple parts in this movie where I feel like it's a little bit self indulgent of his like artistic style. I don't think it goes too far. It like. It gets right at, like, say you're pouring a cup of self-indulgence. It hits the brim <laughs> sometimes, but it never overfills. Nice. And one of these scenes is way later, and I'll just say something about it real quick, was, like, the skiing scene where it's super quick, which I thought was yeah. funny, but it kind of hit, like, that brim for me, where it wasn't too much, but it got a little bit, like, there's so sure, much artistic sure. stuff going on, it's a little bit hitting it for me. I mean, this is also, like, the scene where, like, we get brought into like the miniatures and stuff yeah yeah so like sometimes this movie will hit there but then i think that he does a good job that if it's ever going that way like he pulls it back so a lot with these these monologue parts or, or the poetry later where they just cut it off i think he limits himself and that's why it's so good with it it's yeah, used I, agree. I agree if it's like goes on for like a little too long it's usually only a little too long instead of being like oh gosh this is really long oh yeah and if this movie was two hours i would feel like it was pretty self-indulgent like another 15 minutes i think it's like the perfect time where it's like i think it's a perfect time for this kind of movie and instead of being three hours of our artistic vision like 2001 a space odyssey don't yeah i know <laughs> yeah it's like an hour 35 an hour 40 ish yeah yeah, yeah. And I, I thought it would, I think this movie's perfect to just turn on at any point, to be honest. Like, it's a fun time, and it's short. I think that that's, like, its greatest benefit. Um, so, wasn't the next scene, did it have Jeff Goldblum, or am I skipping a scene there? Well, we get to them zooming around town on a taxi, and I like how, this is, like, one of the shots where I really like how Wes Anderson does it, because he actually has this taxi driving around town on snow, and it's going by, like, pretty fast like this taxi is like actually driving around yeah, fast yeah. and the way he like shoots and follows this taxi is really nice and then we get to gustav and he's with madame d's dead body and this is where another part of the dialogue comes in and it, i think a lot of the dialogue really helps build rafe fine's character and like really adds to him and his acting performance he says you're looking so well darling you really are and he's like talking about to um, her corpse yeah to her corpse <laughs> he says I don't know what sort of pre-cream they've put on you down at the morgue, <laughs> but I want some. Yeah. And it's funny because like he's like he'll like hold her hands. He's like, "Oh, you did change your fingernails," like because they like had talked about it before. And then he just like throws her dead hand back onto her body, like really rough when they are leaving. Oh yeah, it's Gustav is such an interesting character that he's always fun to watch on screen, whether it's fucking eighty-four-year-old ladies. Or confessing your love to her dead corpse and then, th like, basically just throwing her arm like she's a rag doll at the end. What it's a just range. crazy. He's just crazy, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> yes, he's definitely crazy. That's a good word to describe him. And then this is where we get introduced to Jeff Goldblum's character as Deputy Kofi. Well, actually, he was introduced before as, like, the person they talked to for uh, hotel business. Oh, so here's what is interesting is we find out that uh they nobody knew the owner of the hotel and that they would only talk to deputy kovacs who's like this lawyer man about like businesses of the hotel and all like that type of stuff like the financial stuff of the hotel and then we see him again and he's the lawyer for madame d's will i'm gonna say it 
Jeff Goldblum is overrated. I'm sorry. Oh, Everyone likes him. I don't oh, I don't no. get I think he's fine. Oh, I don't gosh. get the fascination with it. Well, I'm gonna get some hate mail for that one. Oh, um, well, I'm gonna mail you hate mail myself. <laughs> hey, Marky. Yes. I agree. Oh. I like that he was more tamped down in this one. Dude, that he wasn't over the top Jeff Goldblum. I I think he's a cool person. I think I follow him on Twitter. Like he's like but yeah, there's just a... some performances that like he's basically this is what I was worried about. He really gets casted for self indulgent type of characters and I'm for Ragnarok. It. Oh my god, don't even talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Give, give me give me examples. Like that. Give me examples. For Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, anything I actually he's been liked in... him. I actually liked him in Thor Ragnarok, but we also have differing opinions on Thor Ragnarok. Oh god, very different. Let me look up what he's done since Jurassic Park, because I might be the last thing I liked him in. Independence I, I liked Day, him the in Grand Resurgence. Jurassic, so anything in the 90s The Lost World, Jurassic World, Fallen Order, Time Yeah, he's bad in Jurassic World. The original World. Independence Day? So this is this is also my problem. Was Earth I, Girls are easy? I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like him in when he was in Guardians 2. He was a small part. Didn't like him in that. Yeah. Um, I didn't like him in Jurassic... So, so this is the problem. I like him in Jurassic the Park. The Life Aquatic, but when they which is also him, another Wes Anderson film, I believe. When he's in Fallen Kingdom, it, it's just Jeff Goldblum. It doesn't seem like Ian Malcolm to me. Like, he's just become Jeff yeah. Goldblum and not playing characters, and I, I'm i sick of him. I'm, I'm just... Isle of Dog. Isle of Dog. I haven't seen Isle West of Dog. Anderson film. Have you seen it? I have not. Okay. But, well, that's a voiceover, so that's a little Correct. bit different. But I don't know. I just... Everyone loves Jeff Goldblum. I don't think he's that good. Like, he's fine, and so he was give fine. Me the per- so the performances that you don't like are Thor Ragnarok and which one? guardians too it's anything like and those are the two big things he's done recently where it's like or even when he came back in fallen kingdom that he's just playing jeff goldblum like oh my god jeff goldblum's in this movie not that character so like the most recent three times i've seen him i'm just like over it do you think it's more of jeff goldblum or do you think it's more of the characters he's playing i think it's the characters they write the characters for Jeff Goldblum to play. I don't think he ever plays them poorly, but he's just becoming Jeff Goldblum in a movie, especially Thor Ragnarok. That one was kind of over the top acting, like what Jeff Goldblum portrays as an actor. Like that's just how he is and what he's casted for. And so they write characters around him. It seems like, and Grand Budapest is an exception. So I actually liked him in this movie. I just don't really like him as an actor all that much, which I know everyone loves him. So that one's kind of... I do love him. Everyone kind of true. loves him. I don't know what's up with... I, I just can't... I don't know. I think it's because he's such a different actor than other actors. He's very... I, I, I think my problem with him is it, it literally just seems like I'm watching Go- Jeff Goldblum at this point. It doesn't seem like I'm ever watching a character. And that's pretty, like, so Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, there's a trailer where he's at the end of it, a big reveal, and he had one scene in it as in a court, like, in a courtroom. And it's like, you're going to make a big deal over Jeff Goldblum. And so I think it just started getting me in this mindset where I'm just like, I don't get the fascination. So then I started not liking him that much. I almost think it's, like, a thing, though, because, like, all three of those movies are, like, kid movies, kind of. Does that make sense? Like, it's not really, uh, it's like movies for kids, pretty much. And so, like, know, his character in those, 
his character in those are Jeff Goldblum because that's what gets the kids. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just I don't know. I can't describe it. I'm just like kind of over him. Don't really care when he's in a movie anymore. Grand Budapest, he's fine because he's pretty toned down and he's barely in it. I yeah. actually liked his acting in this movie. I thought it was good. It's fine. It's it's fine. He's just barely in it, so which is a good thing for me. Yeah, I think I need to see more Jeff Goldblum movies because I've only seen Jurassic Park and uh, Thor Ragnarok. So, that, so Luke is saying that he's only seen Jurassic Park and Thor Ragnarok, but he hates Jeff Goldblum. He's I just said, bandwagoning on my opinions. No, oh, I said wow. that he was a little bit <laughs> wow. overrated because I know the kind of like, uh, um, what is it? What's it called? I can't think. The uh, reputation he gets. For not even not being seen... in that much and doing that much. That's how yeah. I feel. But uh, he is in The Fly, which came out before Jurassic Park, which is like one of his most famous movies that I have to see. Um and I have not seen uh, Independence Day. Tony, so. I just want to know almost... when he started getting Jeff Goldblum in. Like, so after Jurassic Park, he wasn't really Jeff, like in Jurassic Park. He wasn't really the Jeff Goldblum. He was just like this actor, right? When did he become Jeff Goldblum? Jeff Goldblum. Well, I almost want to say like those, like Jurassic Park and the MCU movies. Really, I think I feel like he's always had. He's of course Jeff Goldblum, so he already has like that quirkiness in him. But like just as like a figure in real life out of movies, he's like this quirky, this quirky figure, this like really fun old guy. And then I think because of that, because he wasn't in like a bunch of movies from like say 2010 onwards, and because like his just like regular personality is like that, these newer movies for kids just write him in like that. Yeah, I think I would just like to see him in a different role. He seems like a pretty cool guy outside of, like, the work, but it's just always the same thing to me. i just like to see him expand. I mean, of course, at this point in his life, there's no reason to, but I, I, it's just always the same thing. And Grand Budapest, I actually think it's an exception. He's not really like that nearly as much, like, especially Ragnarok. But, um, and you see, Guardians 2, he was barely in it, but it was the same thing. And it's just always the same thing. And I'm like... Just give me something else. I also don't. I haven't seen like enough of like these twenty like two thousands to like current movies to say that he hasn't already expanded. So and, and then that he's coming true. Like and then they're like casting him back into just like his quirkiness. Okay, so when I receive some hate mail, um, just explain to me what the fascination with Jeff Goldblum is and if he's expanded out before. But we can get back to you know the movie we're supposed to be reviewing. Sure, sure. So we get it to this scene and it's uh him jeff goldblum deputy kovacs talking about the will and uh in front of like this very large extended family because she's very wealthy she just died and like they say all her extended family came just to like see if they could get something from her will and we're interested to introduced to adrian brody her son who gets her estate but she has willed the priceless what is it james hoyt painting Boy with Apple to Monster Gustav. And I mentioned before, like, Adrian Brody is not my favorite actor, and I don't think he does anything wrong. I just don't see him very often. And I feel like people really know his name, but he doesn't really do much. I think, it, what was it because of, was it? The Pianist. Leon, oh, The Pianist. I was, for, for some reason, I was thinking Leon the Professional. It's the same poster type 
like font or something. But um, yeah, in that he like got super big, and I've only think I've seen him in Predators. And so, like, he's yeah. fine, but it's, like, I don't know him enough to be like, oh, my God, it's Adrian Brody. And I feel like he has that reputation for some reason. Well, I think he... it's because of The Pianist. I think yeah, wasn't that the one was really good in that. But wasn't yeah. that, wasn't yeah. that directed by a child molester? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, God. It was directed well, no, by no, Roman Tony, Polanski. He was already... Afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it was after he got, like, convicted and he fled the country. And then, like, they went and filmed The Pianist in France because he wasn't allowed in the United States because he's a child. Wow. So I kind of don't have respect for anyone who worked on that movie anyway because it's just like, it's like, it's just gross. Yeah, the movie's about the Holocaust, so I get like in making it to respect the survivors and people who died. Roman Polanski, but Roman Polanski did not need to make that, and they didn't need to give him the Oscar. (laughs) Yeah, that was the biggest thing. You make the movie, don't give him the fucking Oscar. He's a convicted. Well, I guess he's not convicted if he fled, but he was like arrested. But if yeah, I don't know. It's Uh, just all right. (laughs) Adrian Brody's fine in this movie. I I I actually really like him in this movie. I think he's like, I think his acting is hilarious and all the lines he has is hilarious and the way he delivers them is funny. But we get introduced to Willem Dafoe like around the same time, maybe the same time, and he mm. just steals the show. I think he is. Oh, like, you like Willem Dafoe a lot. Oh, I, I think he steals not, the show. Is yeah. he not playing like the Green Goblin? That's why you like him. Well, he, <laughs> Where he's, he's playing just... kind of that character but he's so perfect especially with like his teeth in this movie how nasty he is <laughs> and you're just like man this guy he looks like a goblin in this movie you know? he looks and I really it. menacing for this yeah, movie yeah. and it's so funny because he's so old yeah 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 i love i don't know i loved him i thought he stole the show so then like adrian brody was like fine but then like he doesn't shine like willem dafoe of course ray fines is like the star of the show no one outshines him but when you get willem dafoe in a scene i think he steals that scene we get this scene, though, where uh, it turns out that she willed it to Gustav. And one of the guys is like, who's M. Gustav? And then Adrian Brody turns around and says, that fucking F word. Yeah, I, a note I wrote in here was that they um, they almost sparingly use cuss words until a scene where they all burst out with curse words. And it's so many. I think they sparingly use it so that when they do use it it actually like yeah hits. i it's, think it's funny when it they use exactly it. it's the planes trains and automobiles thing um where they, they don't say the f <laughs> nice. word one time in that movie except for one scene where he says it like 15 times tony because it's like <laughs> yeah. oh, oh shit you know what and I mean? it works and, really well and yeah. i think this movie does that too where they're not overly using fuck but then when like he says it like what was the line tony uh that fucking f word yeah and so like it's just like okay like all thrown in at once i like it that way it hits harder i also like adrian brody because he's like the one that cusses a lot he says he's talking to gustav about boy with apple and he says you're not getting boy with apple you goddamn little fruit and then gustav replies how is that supposed to make me feel <laughs> that was yes, i really liked his notes. reply to that yes. <laughs> and his delivery was his really delivery good. was fantastic in that, that yeah. part was hilarious and, i loved that part 
that's the scenes I like when they punch each other. The, the, punch, just the punching still. is nice. Yeah, and yeah. then they just fall over. I that's think it was good. it was all in sequence too with like the the how was that supposed to make me feel? Made me laugh yes. out loud, and then them punching each other made me laugh out loud because it was so stupid, just like one at a time punching each other. But it was yes, perfectly yes. filmed. Because Adrian Brody says. Uh, Adrian Brody says this line and it's hilarious he says call the police we're pressing charges this criminal has plagued my family for nearly 20 years Uh, he's a ruthless adventurer and a con artist he preys on mentally feeble sick old ladies and he probably fucks them too (laughs) which he does (laughs) and then he just and And then then he calls him a fruit after that doesn't he I don't know but Gustav replies to that Gustav replies to that and it's just like in the most casual way I go to bed with all my friends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where he gets punched. No, that's where he right, gets punched. The fruit was before that, yeah. Um, I, I think, but there's also a line where Gustav was like, "How could I be a fruit if I, I'm fucking all?" You know, like I thought you just called me a fruit or something like that. I think he mentions. No, no we'll get like to that. that. Well, I okay, have that written later. down. We'll okay. get to that. It's funny. It's funny. I think they just turn like that. His delivery where he finds is perfect with all of his replies to those kind of things. I like this. Uh, this part so it's like zooms in on willem dafoe right and it's like oh this like menacing scene and he's holding his fists up and then it cuts to the audience of like like madam d's extended family trying to get her money and there's just this old guy and he's like where's celine and then it's like some other guys is like what she's dead like there's like the funeral that we're at right now yeah yeah. (laughs) who's the person who he's talking about i thought that was funny and then is that when they go try to steal it the the boy with yes that. this Which, is where they go throughout the house and then if you take one second to just think about the plot i think it's hilarious because it's like the boy with apple is in her will but they're trying to steal it so no one else steals it so they're doing this illegal thing just so no one else steals it from him because it's in the will to him you know what i mean like that i think that's just hilarious yeah i do too i think it's funny luke yeah, sorry. <laughs> you guys say yeah. everything that I feel that I wrote in my notes. You and can so just speak, <laughs> just pipe up over us. <laughs> hey, I say I agree. <laughs> you do say I agree quite a bit. Um, go ahead. Tony. Ooh, wait, wait. Okay, so I have this scene. So it's like uh, they all punch each other. They all knock to the floor. He's like, "Where's Celine?" Blah blah blah. Okay, and then this is where Adrian Brody says, "If I learn you ever once laid a finger on my mother's body, dead or alive." Living or dead, I swear to God, I'll cut your throat, you hear me? And then Gustav says, I thought I was supposed to be a fucking F-word. And then it cuts to Adrian Brody, and it zooms in on his face, and he looks to the side like he's confused a little bit. And then he says, you are, but you're bisexual. Yeah, yeah. And I just love Ray Fiennes' delivery and comebacks to him. And it's like, where anyone else should be offended, and he's just like, well, his first reply is, how is that supposed to make me feel? <laughs> like, that's just a hilarious way to answer to him, you know? Because it's obviously a horrible thing to say to somebody, but the way he answers and then brings it back later, like, I thought you, I thought I was supposed to be this. He's like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny. So then they go throughout the house and then they replace the painting. And the painting they replaced it with was also just really funny. That was a little bit too much for me. That I thought that <laughs> I got that a one... little bit. That got <laughs> I, a little... I thought it was funny. It's like this picture of two naked ladies and it's doing uh, you'll have acts. to see it you'll yeah. have to see it but it's hilarious they're doing naughty fun times and um 
it got that was a little bit too much for me where i thought it was that happens with a lot of these directors where they'll do something kind of like that and that was one of those parts where i was just like that was unnecessary for me at least i obviously worked for tony Mm-hmm. Uh, we get to this plot point where Serge <laughs> X is uh, handing them, like he's trying to help them like escape with Boy With Painting, and he wraps it up and he puts like a confidential letter inside the painting, but they never open the painting to see the letter later on. Yeah. <laughs> Come but on, it, Gustav. But the way they did it was like perfect like yeah it was nice to reveal it i really like the scene where they reveal. i it. also really liked yeah. it too they're on the train they go back and this is where gustav gets confronted by the police oh in the was hotel this, was this before or after didn't they agree on zero getting 1.5 percent yes they agreed on zero getting 1.5 percent because well their plan is that they're going to escape with Boy with Apple. They're going to sell it. They're going to go to a different country. And for Zero's help, he's offering him 1.5% of the money. So that's silly, right? And super low. But then we get a scene where he says that he will inherit all. He'll be the sole heir to Gustav when he dies. So then we don't know anything about Gustav's family and kind of realize he's a Zero too with family. There you go. Very nice. So Ooh, even though maybe it that's started, why he has taken such a liking to exactly, zero. Exactly, exactly. And it started with kind of like a joke about one point five percent, but actually turned into a moment that's like, oh, he's exactly like zero, and that's why he resonates so well and they're friends. I also think there's a line he says, "But when the time comes, these will be yours, along with whatever we haven't already spent on whores and whiskey." Yep. You know, classic Gustav here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get back to the hotel. They hide the painting, and uh, the police come to confront Gustav. And this part is yes. hilarious. I, I like this scene. A was lot. this a shootout yeah. scene? No, not yet. Okay. That's, that's all the way at, at the, the end. end of the movie. I was that's gonna say I was very confused because I was like, "That's not in my notes," but I know I wrote it down. I'm sorry. No, this is where it's, he uh... he gets confronted, and uh, Edward Norton character says, "Oh, he that ran away." Okay, yeah, and it's Edward a still Norton, shot. <laughs> yeah, Edward Norton's character says. That Gustav killed Madame D, and he, like he's telling her about like it, like telling him that he's like all criminal and pretty much. Gustav replies saying she's been murdered, and you think I did it? And then he just runs away, and everyone chases him, but it's just like a still camera, and like you just see them running off into the distance up the ladders and stuff, and the camera just stays in the lobby, and they just like run into the background. I like this scene a lot. It was. Uh... This is one that made me probably laugh the most because there's no background noise either. It's just their footsteps running away. And yeah, this one worked I like for me too. Lot. This one yeah. definitely worked for me too. Yeah, and then he's like, "Stop!" He's just like, "Here, stop, stop!" As they're just running away into the background. And it's also obviously Ray Fines, which I like. You know, we talked about how Liam Neeson can't jump over, run to a fence by himself. But, um, like, Whoa, Ray, when did we talk about this? We're talking we about how they not, took 15 edits. But taken three. We're talking about 15 edits <laughs> oh, and taken okay, three I to remember, jump over yeah, a fence. But really, they're editing before he even ran to the fence. Mm-hmm. So I, I just appreciate that it was Ray Fines in the shot acting and then sprinting as fast as he can, like up the stairs, which like, I like the way they what they the way they run is also just funny. Too. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we get into part three. Checkpoint 19. The criminal internment camp. What did you think about this uh, joke where zero walks up to like this big prison door? It says 
checkpoint 19 and he's knocking on it and he's looking up waiting for them to uh let him in and then it just pans and there's like this little side door this one really works for me because of the pan the camera movement i like the pans the camera pans and it also it was like the cemetery where checkpoint 19's in big white block letters yeah. it was black like this that. time luke <laughs> sorry sorry black letters it was white letters for the cemetery yeah uh, i also like how it's initiated to pan because you just like hear the door opening, right? Or you hear a door opening, and then you hear a wh- like a whistle. The man whistles, and then it pans and it shows. That, oh, it's just a little side door. It's also supposed to be a scary thing, this criminal internment camp, and that's why the big door is so scary. But then really, it's just like a little side joke, which I worked really well for me. Yeah, and I worked really. However, well for me. when I first watched this with all my film people, and I was already in a bad mood, it didn't work for me at all. This is where I started hating it, because everyone thought it was the fun. Like, they laughed almost too hard at it, where it was almost obnoxious. You know, they mm-hmm. laughed an, expen- an extended amount of time. It's like when someone overly laughs at, a, like, a silly joke that's kind of this, like a giggle. Yeah, so I found myself, like, actually laughing out loud multiple time, times during this movie. This time, me too. It, this particular scene oh, good, good. wasn't one of them. Really? Yeah. I did not laugh out loud at this scene, but I, but I liked it. I think I hated it so much before that it worked really well for me now. But like you guys are saying, it didn't work for you out laugh out loud. But when you have a whole room of these people laughing at it, it made me just not like the movie whatsoever. You understand that? Yeah, I think it was still funny. I just didn't laugh out loud at sure, this particular yeah, scene. Yeah. yeah, but that's why I started not liking the movie. But this time it actually really worked for me. And then they find out that... Um, Madam D was poisoned in there, correct? When Zero's talking to Gustav? Or did we already know that? I'm not sure. I, I know they were talking about it, and he says that Madam D was poisoned. Yeah, and they say that Serge was the witness. Yeah, and yeah, so yes. he's kind oh, of under yes, yes, investigation. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think this correct? is the scene. Yeah, Serge was the major witness to her death, Like, and Serge is the one that is a major witness to Gustav being the one to do it and that he ran away and is in hiding now. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. So he was the one who said it was um, Gustav. Yes. Okay. I do like, (laughs) I do like this scene where uh, they're like, it's like visitation zero sat down and then we see Gustav and he's all beat up. And then zero says, what happened? And then Gustav says, what happened is, my dear Zero, I beat the living shit out of a sniveling little runt called Pinky Bandingsky, <laughs> who had the gall to question my virility. But then now they're friends, right? Yeah, yeah and then because that because he likes if there's meat. because if there's the one thing we've learned from Penny Dreadfuls, it's that when you find yourself in a place like this, you must never be a candy ass. <laughs> but then he says he's actually become quite a dear friend. <laughs> yeah, that one made me laugh too. I think I was I laughed out loud quite a bit at this movie, and I don't usually do that with comedy movies unless it's Hot Rod, because <laughs> a lot of the times it's too cringy, yeah. and too, it's trying too hard, and this one didn't seem like it was trying to hard to make you laugh and that's why it works so well yeah and then i think this is just like talking about pinky bandinsky like the names in this movie are really fun too because like edward norton's character which is just referred to as hankles his name was wolfgang hankles burgers dorfer oh my good god that's a name (laughs) it sounds like george lucas tried his hardest to write that (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah this is the scene where uh the accusers were all a member of his extended family and zero asks if he has an alibi and it turns out it's like the wife of some important diplomat and that uh he can't get her to like 
be his alibi. And he says, quote, uh, like, quote, I know, but the bitch legged it, end quote, <laughs> because she ran away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and d- doesn't it cut to uh, Willem Dafoe on the motorcycle after they're done talking? Or do you have more to say about Yes, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of those. And I, I really like that scene. It's like, or the shot of him riding his motorcycle. It's like totally silly, but works really well. Like in this type of movie from like the camera angle being on his like motorcycle handles of him riding it. And then they do it again later with Zero and Gustav. Another yeah, this is unique camera. where he comes to threaten Serge's sister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you have anything to say about that scene? Oh, I actually don't think. Yeah, so he goes threatens the sister, and then um, asking about Serge, and then uh, he says, "Tell him Jopling wants him home or something." And then that's when we get the motorcycle scene. And then the next scene is when uh, all the workers for the Grand Budapest Hotel are uh, about to eat, and yeah, uh, you know yes. this is like usually when Gustav like gives a meeting or something, but no one really cares because everyone's eating. And this part I thought was funny because uh, Gustav's talking and he's like, oh, Gustav, like, wrote a letter and he's telling them to, like, take good care of the Budapest Hotel, blah, 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 blah. And he's saying all these things. And then Zero says, then there's a poem, but we might to go ahead and start the soup since it's 46 stanzas. Yeah, yeah. And then they all, like, rush and start eating. It's like back yes. to that joke about cutting it off, too. And um, I really like the symmetry where Gustav is writing the letter and he's saying it out loud. And yeah. it's prisoners on the left and guards on the right behind yes. him. I yes. just thought that was a really cool shot. I, I also liked how the prison's colors are white because this is like a lighthearted movie. So even though Gustav's in this really dark situation, it's like bright colors. It's different because usually in movies, prisons are like... <laughs> They look really gross. And this one yeah. was just white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the and style still worked. Yeah. In the prison, definitely. And then we switch, and it's uh, Gustav, and he's, like, pushing around a cart with food. And then he, like, gives it to this like, guy with a scar on his face that's, like, s- six foot eight or something. And he's like, oh, you need to try it with salt. And he eats it, and then he ends up liking it. And he becomes important later on when they try to escape the prison. Yeah, and he was, like, yes, a super nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And, but we get to him, and he's, like, he gets to his prison buddies, which includes Pinky now, and this is where he learns that uh, the plan to escape the prison. And I like how he brings one Mendel's cupcake, and then he's, like, all right, was, who's got the throat slitter? And yeah, they all cut yeah. it between <laughs> each other, and they all, like, all, it's such a small piece, and they all just, like, devour it. Yeah, that was, I wrote that down as a hit pick. Just the fact that they called it a, <laughs> a throat slitter made me giggle. Yeah, and it's funny, because then they, like, talk about how to escape, and then okay. Gustav's... Yeah, good. Gustav says, digging with a throat slitter, I expect this would take three to six months of continual effort, during which time several of our members will have been violently executed. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so then they're talking to this guy that's shirtless, correct? Correct. And this is where I got a nitpick, or should I call it a nip pick? Because oh. his pecs <laughs> yes. were going crazy during this. <laughs> and they were just too distracting to focus on what he was saying because oh. it looked involuntary. Like, it so his pecs looked like they were spasming. And it made me laugh because it's like an older man whose pecs are just going insane during this scene, which is yes. kind of funny, but also I had it as a nitpick because I couldn't focus. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, and then did they cut back to the 80s, right? 
And yes, they then do. they they go back to when they were talking, and then he thinks about Agatha, and then we get this storyline with Agatha, who is played by or not the eighties, oh, um, sixties. I'm sorry, I wrote eighties. I meant sixties. Um, where he's talking about Agatha, who is Zero's um girlfriend at the time, or someone he really likes at the time. When well, when we we find out it's someone he likes, and eventually becomes his girlfriend. It's played by Sarah Sharonin, who I really like as an actress. She played in Lady Bird as Lady Bird. And I just, I really liked her in it because it was also another small part by a very talented actress. But this was kind of before she got super big. So it's kind of nice. Is, was this like her first big thing? I'm not sure. Of? I'm not sure actually. But I, I like going back and seeing this after how big she's become. Let me see. Her first big, or she started acting in TV series in 2007 and then did a bunch of small roles in 2008. Her first big thing, it looks like, was the host. She was actually the main character then. That was 2013. Okay. So, and she played Hannah in the movie Hannah in 2011, actually. So she was already kind of a big thing, but not as big as she is now after Brooklyn, um, and Lady, Lady Bird, Bird, and then... Um, Queen Mary of Scots, Little Women. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, she's really big now, and it's kind of nice to go back and see her in this as a small role. She's going to be in the next Wes Anderson movie. Yay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. So we get to the scene, and it shows, like, or, like, multiple scenes, and we show, like, them being in love, and that they're going to get married soon, and that uh, Gustav, like, was interviewing her to, like, approve of the union. And this is where we kind of get, like, the first taste of Zero being jealous because like gustav is like flirting with her and then he, zero asks agatha is he flirting with you and then she like looks at him and looks back at zero and says yes <laughs> yeah that's when i think that immediately makes the audience start liking agatha because it was like is he flirting with you yes immediately like yeah. not fucking around <laughs> yeah so i immediately started liking her character and wanted her and zero to work out yeah and this is get to like it gets to the part where we find out that because she's a baker's daughter and she works for Herr Mendel at uh, Mendel's Bakery. That was like, incredible. She uh, <laughs> very nice <laughs> knows how to bake and stuff like that. And then the, she bakes a cake with the digging tools that Gustav needs into a cake, and then they send it to him. And the prison guards, there's like a scene where he like he's cutting bread to make sure he's, there's nothing in it, and then like he stabs the cheese to make sure there's nothing in it, and then he gets to the cake, and then it looks so nice that he doesn't want to ruin it, so he just lets it pass, even though there's tools in it. Kind of a nice guy. Kind of a nice guy. Come on, he actually <laughs> let them like because he don't want to ruin it. Okay. I nice also guy. like I also like how that like scene is shot because like it's just on the contents, and then like just like of his hands like cutting into it and stabbing it. And then when it gets to the cake, it zooms up and you see his facial expression. He's like, oh, man, I probably don't want to ruin this. And then it pans back down and he just like lets it slide. And then he like cuts into the next thing. Yeah. And this might be going a little bit too into it, but it's almost like he's just like a person cutting it. And then you get a real personal moment with him. Like you see the actual person who has that moment of I'm not going to cut this. And I kind of like that. It's small, but it works well. Yeah. It's. I also think it's just funny. Yeah, yeah, and it. Of course, it's the thing that they baked into it, which was cool to help them break out. And then, um, doesn't it cut back to Willem Dafoe? Yes, it cuts back. <laughs> fingies, baby, fingies. <laughs> cuts back to Jeff Goldboom, and he's talking to Dimitri, aka Adrian Brody, yeah. and his sisters, and Willem Dafoe is there. 
and he's just holding a cat and he's oh, like man. petting it this entire time and uh adrian brody's trying to be like oh he's like trying to convince jeff goldblum to like let things slide and like jeff goldblum won't because he's like a lawyer of the law and he just represents the deceased like he doesn't represent adrian brody and then willem dafoe just throws the cat out of the window yes and oh jeff goldblum Jeff Goldblum's like, did he just throw my cat out of the window? And then, like, the sisters just saying, just like, I don't think so. And then he, like, walks over to the window and it pans oh. down and there's just this dead cat on the street. It's one of those super, no. super dark <laughs> parts, which it's like, you're not supposed to laugh, but you kind of just give, like, a, oh, my God. And then, because he just chucked it out the window out of nowhere. Yeah, because he didn't like his answer. And then, and then they have to go as far to show the splat on the ground, which is just like, no, yeah, I know. come on. <laughs> and the dead cat comes back later in a funny way. But after the scene, it cuts to them digging. And uh, it kind of just shows that, okay, they are digging. And then it cuts to Zero and Agatha. And he's telling her about Boy with Apple. And like... She's like, oh, you're an art thief? And then he's like, no, I, like, I said it wrong. He actually willed it to Gustav. But, like, she doesn't want to know the instructions to uh, of how to get to Boy with Apple. But he's just like, take it anyways. And then he, like, drops the piece yeah. of paper and runs off. This is when they're in bed, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I really liked after they were talking when that person came in, her supervisor or whatever. Her dad. Was it her I'm dad? I'm pretty sure it's her dad. Okay. I didn't know if she was just living somewhere and something like that, but... That he like jumps onto the rafters, yeah, like Spider Man, and like uh, Spider Man. <laughs> then he peeks his head down to talk to her again, and then he just like goes up onto the roof and sprints away and makes the jump between buildings, which yeah. is ridiculous. He's just like <laughs> running so on the funny. rooftops. Yeah. yeah, I just love the jump at the end to the second building. Wasn't he still barefoot? I'm not uh, sure. It was like a shadowy <laughs> figure of him. It was yeah, like a shadow. Right. What a guy. So you couldn't really tell. What a guy. What a guy. Um, and then Goldblum is getting chased by Defoe, correct? Yes. This is one of the, this is where like, it's funny because we see him at a dry cleaners and he like picks his coat back up and then, uh, he like, there's a piece of paper that the dry cleaners leave in his pocket and it's a coat check. And then it says contents, Persian cat parentheses deceased <laughs> <laughs> yeah calling that back immediately yeah and uh <laughs> she just like hands them this bloodied bag with a dead cat that was so horrible i don't know <laughs> it was like oh you're God. not supposed it's like trying to make you laugh in the darkest way possible which yes. it yeah. kind of made me but then feel bad <laughs> about laughing you know and then this and then this leads <laughs> into the entire chasing where willem dafoe is like chasing down uh, Jeff Goldblum, and it's really funny. There was a really shot. Well shot. There's a shot right before he full on started chasing him, where Goldblum pulls down the shade on the bus, and it shows Defoe's face. Yes, which that was, was a really hit nice. pick of mine. Yeah, that was a really yeah. nice shot. Yeah, he pulls it down, and then you could see it in the reflection. Then he pulls it up, and then he looks out, and then he sees him like straight up. And then he raises his dead cat to show him <laughs> what he did to show him that so. he killed his cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then. He, they get chased into that museum, right? Into a museum, And yes. that was one of my actual favorite parts of the movie for multiple reasons. So they first run into the museum, and there's little – there's a thing that says museum closing in 15 minutes. But obviously it's not digital. It's like little numbers hanging on there. 
And then when Defoe comes in a minute later, it says 14 minutes, as if someone's sitting yes. there changing it every single minute. <laughs> yeah. Which exactly. is just a small thing and just really funny to me. But well, then this I, whole, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What I also liked about that, though, is, is like when Jeff Goldblum first walked in, as like closing in 15 minutes. Like the receptionist there just looked up at him and gave him this look like, oh, he came in. It's about to close this in 15 min- minutes and you came in. <laughs> exactly. And then um, this whole part almost turns into like a noir type film when he's getting chased in this museum. There's certain shots of Goldblum looking back at him getting chased. And I really like yeah. this part. This was like, like a big the, hit pick. And the just shadows like this... of Joplin. Yes. They're yes. kind of like noir. Yeah. yeah, and just, like, the scenery of him, like, running through all these, like, different museum exhibits. And I liked when Jopling took off his shoes. So he's just running in socks so that uh, Jeff Goldboom can't hear him. Even though he knows he's right behind him, but he doesn't know how close, which was kind of cool. Yeah, and so then we get this scene, Ooh. the infamous scene, <laughs> where <Fingers>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldboom is, like, looking out this door making sure no one's there and he has his like right hand on the doorway and then uh willem dafoe is like behind him grab like holds onto his shoulder and then just closes the door and slams and like slices off four of jeff goldblum's fingers that's that's one of the parts i remember and remember liking from four years ago just because it's (laughs) so fucking crazy and like you could tell the actors are actually there so they're obviously like prosthetics on his hand but yeah. the way they shot it was really nice because it actually looks like this motherfucker got his fingers cut off. <laughs> yeah, and I like like the scene here. He just like picks up all the fingers and he just like yeah. has it in a wad, and then he's like walking off, still like holding his shoes in one hand because like he was barefoot or like he was on the socks when he was chasing him. Yeah, yeah, and also just has that guy's fingers in his hand, which is just yes, very true. So, such a unique thing to do and just so fucking crazy. And they filmed it really well. And then it cuts back to Gustav and pals breaking out of prison. Correct. And we get a classic ladder joke where the ladder's super yeah. long. And I, I thought it was funny because it's one of it's a cartoon joke in yeah. this movie. And mm-hmm. I thought it actually worked really well at this part. I think it did too. Um, I, I also then, really like okay. the I also really like the music yes. when they're breaking out of the prison. I, I thought it was really good. Yes. I like it because so they use this really long ladder and they're like climbing down and then like a guy in the prison cell, he opens up his little window and he's like, how did you get out there? And then the, as Mark likes to call him, that nip pick guy, he says, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, shut up. <laughs> and then he's like, these guys are trying to escape. And then, he, and then he's like, what's wrong with you, you goddamn snitch? And then this is where the six foot eight guy comes back with a scar on his face. And he like, you just see it. I like how it's shot because you can see, only see this guy through the window. And then just gets pulled back by this huge guy. And then he peeks his head down to see yeah, them, which is really nice. Like down. a nice callback. It's always the big guy that's like the biggest baby. You know what I mean? Not baby in a bad way, but like a teddy bear. And yeah. I like that. <laughs> and I like that he shows his face and Gustav says, it's you. Thank you. Thank you, you sweet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind man. <laughs> yeah, yes. And the, then I really like the use of shadows when they're trying to escape. There's like a bunch of shadows of them like getting around, like running. Yeah, because it's then, like they get into the guards' room yeah. and all the guards are sleeping like side by yes. side. And I love the jumping over them on their beds. I thought <laughs> like, that was really silly. nice. Yeah. It's totally silly, but it works perfectly at this moment in the film. I think. Yeah, we see like them like climbing through the rafters, going under the beds, and then or like and then jumping over some beds, and it's like such a 
really nice shot to just how Wes Anderson filmed it. It's also one of those things where, like, when Zero is talking to um, Jude Law in the beginning, it's shot very normally. And then everything we're watching is, like, a story being told. So it it can be silly. It can have, like, those cartoon fun moments, you know? As long as they're not overplayed. And because it's just a story that's being told. And I really like that. What do you think about this next scene where they go down into like a laundry chute and then they like open up this door on the floor and then it's like these four guards playing cards and they look up like everyone looks down and they look up and like throughout this entire like entire scene almost besides like them talking with the guy with a face on a scar it's been like silent and it's like them sneaking and there's just like music in the playing playing in the background and they open this door they look down the guards look up and they're like ah and they just like shout yeah, and then the guy murders all of them and dies. And he himself so gets killed. Yeah, I was like, what is happening? Because you like they just snuck around all of them, and then that guy just died by killing every single one of them with yeah, no what hesitation. Guy. He what a kissed guy. his knife and <laughs> yeah. jumped down. Slitter. He gets the throat slitter, and then he jumps down, and then you just like hear all the screaming and the fighting, and then. Uh, it shows him and like there's three dead guys and he's wrestling with this last guy and he like stabs him and then the, the guard stabs him back and then they're all dead including the prisoner and then Gustav says well I'd call that a draw yeah yeah I also like that the guy died because it's kind of tropey and cliche to like jump down kill every single person and come back just fine like the fact yeah. that he died was kind of breaking that trope which I liked it also adds to another line that I like when they finally meet up with the zero uh Gustav introduces everyone, and then he says, Gunther was slain in the catacombs. Yeah, and that's what yeah, he... Yeah, I like that part. Yeah, he met up with Zero, and I liked how one of the kids... Uh, one kids. of the... I'm sorry, one of the prisoners... <laughs> well, because I was thinking Zero is like a kid compared yeah. to them. Yeah. One of them smacks Zero and just says, good luck, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he just smacked him. And, and then, I thought this scene yeah, was yeah. funny because a car comes up, and then I'm like, oh, this is like the getaway driver for these prisoners right and i was like oh they're gonna go with this guy and then like they get in the car and then they just attack him and take over the car i was like oh i thought that was funny yeah it wasn't a getaway yeah. they just made it a getaway <laughs> but uh, we find out that zero he messed up some stuff right he didn't bring i can't remember what he didn't yes bring. he didn't get a safe house right. no not <laughs> lemon panache <laughs> he didn't get a safe house he couldn't get disguises and most of all he forgot the La Air Panache, which is Gustave's perfume. Right, the most important one. And I liked that they, like, started a falling out here because every movie has, like, a falling out of characters. And then, mm -hmm. but then immediately after they fall out, you find out about Zero's family and Gustav is just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also it like wasn't how... even a minute later. He's just like, I'm so sorry. You deserve the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he's like being mean to him and like calling him an immigrant. And it's like, why would you even leave your country and come here? And then he's like, because of the war. And then he's like, what? And then Zero gets into his backstory about his like entire family being executed by firing squad and his like town being burned down and he had to leave here. So then he's like, oh, so you're more like a refugee in that sense. And then he said, truly. <laughs> and then uh, Gustav, comes back. <laughs> Gustav like uh, apologizes to him. Yeah, I just like that the falling out that a lot of movies have, which can go all like on way too long in certain movies, Goblet of Fire. Um, 
like this one happened wow (laughs) (laughs) nice ones and um this one was like a minute of them falling out and then back to normal which i liked yeah and i also like the subsequent scene of them like running away and it's like them running through the snow and stuff yeah i thought it looked really nice and then this is where we start part four the society of the cross keys right well we get to see that uh edward norton's character hankles discovers about the prison breakout and willem dafoe's character is just like there for some reason how did he get in (laughs) he's willem dafoe that's why that's how that is how is because he's Willem Dafoe. Right. And then we start part four. And we find out that Bill Murray is in this movie. Yeah, we do. He's in all of one Wes of the Wes Anderson yeah. regular Is he? Movies. Is he? I didn't yes. know that because I yes, haven't he seen is one him. Of them. I, I really like Bill Murray. Didn't along know he was with, a Wes Anderson specialist. So. Yeah, along with Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman in the beginning. It kind of seems like yeah. Sarah Sharonin's becoming one and uh, Zero. I forgot his name again. I apologize. Tony Revolori. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Tony. How do I forget? Um, <laughs> and I, I liked Bill Murray in this movie too. Just And this is where he's at the hotel, right? And the spotlight's around him. And then it keeps going in at whoever's at the phone because they keep calling people. So you, you want to explain yes, what's happening? Yes, because he calls in a favor for the Society of Crossed Keys. And so he calls a concierge and then he's like talking and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. And then they, they're like that concierge calls another concierge. And it's like this train of concierges all calling each other, trying to pull in this favor to help Gustav. And I really like this scene because it's so funny because they like it cuts to a concierge and like he has to answer the phone and he's busy. So he like does what like he gives whatever task he's currently to like a lobby boy. Yeah, my favorite one was the CPR one where he and stopped I, the CPR. takeover. This yeah. guy, this guy's giving the concierge is giving someone CPR, and then he's like, he gets a call, and then he's like, take over, and then like the lobby boy has to give the CPR, and I then also immediately liked... just starts doing it. <laughs> I also like when the, there's this concierge tasting food, and he's like, mm, too much salt, not enough pepper, or something, and then he gets the call, and he's like, take over. He gives it to the lobby boy. Lobby boy takes a taste of he's like too much salt <laughs> yeah they were they got like increasingly funnier to be honest um i except i think the cpr one was my favorite because that one was so obscure <laughs> of course he was doing cpr hankles has this police report of deputy kovac's death and did have had like um five fingerprints for his left hand and then one fingerprint for his right hand because he lost four fingers yeah yeah that was yeah. a small thing that was funny <laughs> Um, and someone after the CPR scene and when everyone's calling, someone says, I can't remember because I don't have it playing right now, but I just have it on my phone. Someone says, the plot thickens, and then someone else says, why? Is it a soup? And I thought that was so <laughs> stupid, but so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I I have Defoe. Defoe Defoe is at the prison. And he realizes the cake is from the hotel. So yeah, that was before. Uh, yeah, that was before the Society of Crossed Keys thing going on. Was it? I, yes. I wrote it down now for some reason. Oh, I don't know why I wrote it down now. Weird. I, maybe my notes got mixed up. But um, they also see a newspaper that says "local girl's head found in laundry." Ooh, I was gonna talk about Bill Murray picking them up first. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So Bill Murray picks them up because uh, he got that favor called in for the society of lost keys and he brings him a bottle of air panache and i thought it was so funny oh because they're sitting on the haystacks correct 
Yeah, they were sitting on haystacks and then they got picked up. And then that's like, where the plot thickens. That's where that line was from. That, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Gustav sprays himself and then he like offers it to Zero and then he's like, "Oh me!" Like he doesn't say it. Like he like does the gesture to his chest with his hand. He's like, "Oh me too!" And then he's like, "Yes, here you go." And then he sprays himself too. And then um, it's so funny because like Gustav's like, "We have to offer him something in return." And then he's like, how much money do you have? And then Zero's like, 40 Klubeks. And then he's like, give him 25. And there's like, Zero's like, really? And he's like, just do it. And they offer him, like, here, please take this. And then Bill Murray's like, I can't. Like, he, like, puts up his hand and, like, does that gentleman thing. He's like, oh, why I can't? And so it's funny because Zero's like, I'm not going to give him this money. Like, we barely have any money left. And then Gustav is just like, just give it to him. Because he knows that he's just going to deny it anyways because he's such a gentleman. But then offering it is just way better than not. So yeah, because it's just like that, like gentleman concierge. Yes, that he knows that he's just gonna get the money back anyway. So, so it you doesn't might as matter. Well just do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is this the lo- local girl head found in laundry yet? I, I I don't know when that happened. It is not. That is later on. This cuts to the scene where did I fall asleep? Maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, we forgot the segment. Did we Tony forgot. fall asleep? I did not fall asleep. Yay. I don't think I, I wasn't even close, Luke. Were you? I was not. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I was because apparently I skipped a bunch of scenes. This so is the scene where Adrian Brody realizes <laughs> that Boy with Apple is gone and has been replaced. Yeah. Takes him so long. Oh, <laughs> so long. <laughs> and I kind of like that because it shows that he doesn't care about the painting. Yeah. No, like, not like, at he doesn't all. even really care about it. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. He's <laughs> <laughs> just not even noticed it for this long. And then that maid sells out Gustav. Oh. Yeah, the maid. Oh. <laughs> the maid. <laughs> oh. And then after that scene is when we cut to uh, Gustav and Zero in a train as they're like getting to their destination. And like they're in this train and then they're talking about Agatha and Gustav says that she's flat as a board and has an enormous birthmark the shape of Mexico over half her face but she's a good woman straight rude yes straight so rude. rude so rude i had an inquiry uh why is the birthmark shaped like mexico just because it's i have no wes, anderson? wes anderson yeah for that, wes anderson yeah for, for that, that joke. singular line yeah one got line, it got it okay sure. <laughs> and here, here we cut to the scene where it sets up mark's favorite or at least most mentioned Not favorite. I movie. just was confused. He loves no. it, dude. He loves the capitated like heads. I don't like local girls' heads and found in the laundry. It's just his passion. <laughs> Agatha is, like, packing up her stuff because she's, like, about to leave, and she hears a noise outside, and she uh, climbs up onto the, her rooftop, and, like, she's looking around, and then the scene changes before we get to know what comes from that. And then... The scene changes to the police station where we find local girl with head cut off in laundry basket. Yes, yes. Mark, take it away. <laughs> I have nothing to say about us. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was um, the sister of somebody. Sarah it's Sarah's sister. sister. Yeah, yeah, Sarah, yeah, Sarah. yeah, that Defoe cut off her head. Yeah, it was Willem Defoe. Yeah, Correct. I didn't have anything to say about it other than <laughs> I just thought that's where we were. <laughs> so go on so after mark's favorite scene in the no where we see a decapitated <laughs> i don't want to be known head, for this <laughs> or we see a decapitated head uh we get to gustav and zero getting to like a monastery or like i think that's yeah. what you call it like they're like mm-hmm. an, ob- an, an observatory slash monastery 
and they're getting these help from like these monks who i'm guessing they get the help from because of like the whole favors they pulled the society of lost keys and i like what that happens is like a monk walks up and he says are you uh monster gustav of the grand budapest hotel in nestlebad and then he's like uh-huh and then he's and then they'll give him an instruction like take this cable car and then like they'll go onto this cable car and then there's like another monk and then he says the exact same thing he's like are you monster gustav of the grand budapest hotel in nestlebad and uh-huh. he's like oh and then he's like switch with me and so then this goes like this goes on and then it's like are you a monster gustav blah 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 and then he's like "Uh uh-huh i was like take these clothes and then someone asks i was like are you monster gustav the grand Budapest?" and then he's like yes god damn it yeah yeah i I like that the joke didn't overstay his welcome i thought they did it the perfect amount of times to be effective and then like i thought the last time was gonna be a little bit too much and then he said yes god damn it so it was like the perfect amount for to be funny I also like this uh, symmetry shot where, like, they're inside a church and um, they're all rushing to get into line. And there's, like, monks on one side and monks on the other side. And, like, they, like, squeeze into this little area so it's not symmetrical. And then they, like, a monk, they, like, pushes him over and he has to leave to the other aisle. Yeah, that's just a real quick shot, too, isn't it? It, yeah, yeah. yeah it just happens like really I, fast. I really like the the quick jokes like that that are just like subtly put in there, but they're really funny. You know? Yeah, and then uh, he says confess, and then he's like, "I'm innocent," and then he's like, "What? No, go to the yeah. confession box." And that is where they meet Serge, and yeah, he tells him Serge. that he was threatened to give his witness that it was uh, Gustav who murdered Madame D. But then as he's about to tell him, or he tells them about the second will, but as he's about to tell him where it is or like the contents of it, he is strangled to death by Willem Dafoe. The one and only. The one yeah. and only. And, and, then, and then he sledding. says those fuckers in the <laughs> yes. confession. And then yes. th- this is where like the cussing bumps it up kind of for the rest of the movie. I like, <laughs> I liked that, um. Like, Willem Dafoe's also in monk robes, and he's, like, just pretended to be a monk guy, and then they see him, and then he's like, oh, and then he runs away. I like how you can tell yeah. that they have the, their clothes underneath them, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. so they totally <laughs> stick out like a, like a sore thumb, and it's, like, totally obvious, and I think that adds to it. <laughs> this is where we get into the ski and sledding scene. Yeah, Mark's and second I touched... favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I touched on this earlier that... Like kind of, I wrote down that it kind of reminded me of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when he was sledding, and he later just dudes, like, yeah, <laughs> and he just like shot like super fast, and that's like a totally silly, goofy movie, and this is like, I could have done without this scene. I don't feel like it goes too far. It's just like one of the times where, like I said, it just kind of gets a little bit to where I'm like, all right, you know, it, a little bit too crazy for me. And maybe not the scene itself is too crazy, just a lot of crazy stuff happening at once. So, um, I didn't hate it. It was just not, like, I could have done without it. I thought it was nice, and then it became fine because it was a little too long. Just too long with them going fast? Yeah. Okay. I I feel the same. But then, so we a cliff. <laughs> get to them, they fall off a cliff, or so they think, mm. and uh, Gustav is hanging on, and <laughs> Willem Dafoe is, like, stomping on the ground, and, like, the snow is and the snow and the ice is cracking so like gustav's like about to fall off yes and this is where this is where gustav in his (laughs) final moments he also starts another poem Mm -hmm. and then zero is actually not 
off of the cliff already and he runs up behind Willem Dafoe and pushes him off and then Gustav's like holy shit you got him there was a yes. line that was one of my favorites when he was on the ledge and he just said you sick pathetic creep I hate you <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorites and then Zero pushes him off which was also funny Yeah. and then we start part 5 yes correct the and second is... copy of the second will <laughs> this is when uh they get to back to the hotel and it's occupied by Nazis or at least fake this Nazis. Is where Nazis in this come in. Fake Nazis, right. yeah. I think so isn't it yeah, they put Z Z on Instead it for SS. like zigzag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something dumb. Instead of SS, yeah. It's something. so dumb. There's like, a there's a big hit pick for me. Or go ahead, Tony, I'm sorry. I was gonna say uh it's so dumb too, because like <laughs> they're like you get to a scene of okay, so this is the part. This is the one character that I don't particularly like in this movie, but he's fine, and it's Owen Wilson. Yeah, and it, I choose I, I, him. I, I, yeah, but you like another cars. Wes Anderson. You like cars? I do like cars. He's a Wes Anderson <laughs> regular. I just yeah, it's just like he's just weird placed in this movie because it's like it's just Owen Wilson. Like I'm I hearing him talk and stuff, and I'm just like. Oh wow! Wow! The time. <laughs> yeah. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, my hit pick came right before the Owen Wilson part, and it was really, really brief, which is why it's a small hit pick. And you I think see, this, this is what I'm gonna get into. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure, but it's like they have the ZZ right, and then they walk by with the ZZ on a ping pong table. Yes, this is the <laughs> one I was gonna the get to. Thing. So Owen Wilson is giving them. <laughs> Owen Wilson is like booking out rooms, and then. Uh, they're like talking about how this room is gonna need more space as they walk by with a ZZ on a. Oh, so Owen table. Wilson came before it. My bad, but yeah, it was, it's just the dumbest, like smallest thing put in there. That's hilarious to me that they're trying to get a ping pong table in there. And so Agatha bribes the Nazi soldier guarding the entrance with a cake, with like a cupcake thing. I think I thought it was so funny because she bribes him with a cake so that she can get in and get into uh to get boy with apple and then gustav and zero later on have to get into the hotel to try save agatha and they also offer him another cupcake and like you see him the frosting's all on his lips and like the cupcake's gone and then he looks down at it and then they're like in the hotel and like he just so like it implies he just took it again yeah that the cupcake on his lips didn't that one didn't do it for me because i feel like we see that a lot in movies with like stuff on people's lips and stuff so that one didn't give me, but the fact that it cut real quick when he was deciding to take the second one, like he did with the first one. So it was yeah. like the first part of the joke didn't give me, but the second one did. Uh, but we get Adrian Brody recognizing Agatha as she's about to go out. And he like just like walks around and follows her. And uh, it's like this suspense is so crazy. Like uh, she finally gets into that elevator and you think she's going to go. But uh, he's like, wait. And then he goes into the elevator with her and then they're just like both standing there. And uh, he like rips open the paper covering the painting and you just see like the little hand in the apple. And then he's like, nice picture. Imagine if this wasn't someone who knew a boy with the apple wasn't. It was just some creep. <laughs> just yeah. looking at her painting. It's literally Adrian Brody. <laughs> <laughs> no, Luke, he's not from Polanski. He just worked with him. Oh, oh let's bad. stop talking about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I also like this next shot, and it's, like, kind of Kubrick-esque, where, like, he's walking down the Kubrick. hall, and it's just, <laughs> like, his face, and it's, like, really menacing-looking as he walks down the hall. 
Yes. Yeah, it I was like Kubrick-esque that. in a good way. I don't like Kubrick, but the shot was good. It's, I like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I, just, I, I don't like about, movies. And I was about talking. We're gonna about, get some hate mail about that one, Luke. Oh no, you're gonna out. get some hate mail. It's specifically Mark that hates the Kubrick movies. Well, I like. <laughs> you just want to oust me. <laughs> <laughs> I like Kubrick shots, but the storylines and the shots last okay, way too long. But this is Mark Kubrick. This is Kubrick again. Okay, again, just again, just again just give those. Kubrick can't write movies. Okay, he could just. Yes. Hold, he just knows how to direct a camera, and no Correct. one wants to admit it because everyone's too far up his ass at this point. Okay. 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 Give Mark and Luke the hate mail once Tony, again. Tony, they are watch... agreeing in the hate. Tony's mail. address. Tony's... They are Tony... agreeing in the hate mail. If you watch two thousand one. That's a movie you would fall asleep in. Oh my god! If you don't like long movies yeah, that are drawn off. out, look, yeah. <laughs> I haven't, so I can't say if I like it or I don't. All right, that's how many Kubrick but movies the have Kubrick, you seen? The Kubrick many, fans, the Kubrick fans need to come in and they need to give some hate mail to these two. How many Kubrick, Kubrick, how many Kubrick, Kubrick have movies have you seen? Zero. Uh, Zero. Uh, Zero. That's it. Uh, Zero. I have, seen, I have seen The Shining uh-huh. many moons ago. Many, many moons, moons ago. ago. Okay. Well, one movie of his, and then you're gonna make an opinion. Many moons ago? No, I'm <laughs> saying I'm saying one movie. I'm not making opinion, but I'm okay, not hating right. on the man like you guys are. Yeah, we're. I will say he, we are hating was, on the man. He was also an a hole in real life. Yes, so he was. So I'll just he was mean to Shelley Duvall during. Oh, the he shot. like and it's, it's like, bad. She had to quit acting it, almost. Yeah, it was terrible. it's like ugh, fucking douche. All right, All right and anyway. everyone loves him. All right. Sorry. But this is a Wes Anderson film, guys. I like Wes Anderson. I like Wes Anderson. Can't let the hatred for Kubrick blind you. Blind you for this one. Well, then it doesn't blind me because the next scene is one of my favorites with the shootout scene. It is true. I like the shootout scene. Dimitri Dimitri and Gustav (laughs) and Zero, they all face, like, they kind of face off. And then one of my favorite lines is. Where's boy with apple? And then Gustav replies, "None of your goddamn business." <laughs> and then he he replies back, "I'm gonna blast your candy ass once and for all." Uh, just all of the dialogue is hilarious, and then the shootout is. It kind of reminds me in um at the end of like Django Unchained, where the shooting is over uh, the top ridiculous, but almost even more so because this can be cartoony and silly. And it, it was hilarious for me. I, I, I yeah. also like when Hankles comes in, it's like, okay, who's shooting who? Yeah. I'm like, all kind of calm. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, like, this is like a Nazi-occupied hotel now. There's all these guys with guns in here, and they just, like, hear shooting, and they open their door, and they look out, and they just start shooting for, like, no reason. Yeah. And um, then Agatha, she gets stuck on a ledge somehow. Do you want to explain how? Yes, she jumps out a window. She jumps out a window to escape people, and she gets stuck on the ledge. Oh, okay, and then Zero <laughs> wants to break into the door to go save her, and then the guy Correct. opens the door as he's running at it, yeah, and gets stuck on the ledge. And I love it because he would have just like flown right off the ledge. But I love the shot because he like flies off, but then he's just hanging right next to her, which I thought was super funny. Yeah, and of course, Boy with Apples hanging right there where they could see the confidential stuff. Correct. Like the letter, which would be in any other movie a total like cop out plot device, but it works perfectly in this movie because of the style that it's. It's in like so stylized. It's so silly. So it's stylized silly and silly that it just yeah. perfectly works. Yes. And like the same thing with them falling into like the back of the Mendel's truck, and they're like it cushions their fall. And like other movies, like oh okay, that's like dumb, but like it's so highly stylized in this movie that it's like oh that's actually like nice. That's like how Wes Anderson does it makes it really nice. And so they find out 
about the confidential will, and then it turns out that if, in case she's murdered, everything goes to Gustav. Gustav. I love that this could have just happened so easy. Like, during yeah, the that film. is pretty funny. And the guy yeah. literally could have just gave it to him in the beginning. What was that guy's name? Serge. 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 Yeah, he could have like <laughs> yeah. just gave it to him, and the movie would have ended. And usually, I would call that a plot hole, but I think it's funny for this kind of movie, and it works. So it's just kind of like, well, this was all kind of pointless, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. This is this part of the movie is a part that I uh, dock some points off, but not a lot. Is I find it like ends kind of abrupt. Like they're all in the shootout, they fall off, and then boom, it cuts to them opening the will, and then oh, boom, he inherits everything. So it like kind of happens quickly, and like you get so attached to these characters that you kind of want more. You want to see more, but it like ends pretty fast. That's kind of how I felt. Maybe show how the shootout ended, and it could end stupidly or something like that. (laughs) I liked the abrupt ending because I think it felt. It fit the style of the movie. It does fit that the makes style sense. of the movie. Like, I get we wanted more time with the characters, but I think it fit. So I didn't. I thought that actually worked well, but I totally get your guys' points on that. And then we get to Gustav inheriting everything. Zero becomes a concierge. He marries Agatha, and then they're on a train yeah. leaving the country, and they get stopped by Nazis Once this again. time. Yes. And, and I this like is that like a repeat of the scene when they got stopped before. Yes. yes. I like that it's black and white too. Because this is the part where it's not supposed to be like silly. Because it's actually Nazis and they kill Gustav. So it's yes. black and white. because Gustav it's... ends up fighting for Zero the same way he did before. Except instead of getting a pass and them leaving, they kill Gustav. So Zero ends up inheriting everything. There's also a really good line that was mentioned earlier and then comes back about humanity yeah. being a barbaric slaughterhouse now. They say, like, barbaric slaughterhouse that once was known as humanity, which yes, I just yes. kind of liked. It's kind of a nice, a cool line. Yeah, and he was talking about how Gustav is one of the, like, the yeah. last civilized ones. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And that was sad because he died to, like, protect Zero again. But Yeah, he dies right then. Which is kind of crazy, but also I thought it fit again. And I agree. It's kind of like protecting himself because he sees so much of himself in Zero. And, and it's he also wants just him to like live, live with Agatha and them to be okay. So. The civility in him, like the gentleman in him, like standing up for Zero and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then we cut back to the 60s where it's actually funny because Zero and Jude Law, they, for dessert, they have like the Mendel cupcakes. Yeah. And then uh, it kind of wraps up with him talking to jude law about the hotel and it's and kind of he uh, mentions that agatha died yeah and a kid, rare disease their kid right didn't he say they had a yes kid? Yep. which uh agatha and their kid died from like some disease that he says in the 60s they would have treated in a week but millions died back then which was super sad and i felt like a little bit too sad to end the movie on for me that I it's see. a goofy silly movie and that got a little bit too real at the end where it was like rooting for them. And then you talk about a rare disease, but not only that, that if it was in the sixties, you could treat it. It got a little bit too real for this movie for me where I was like, well, now I'm just sad. I think it worked well, but I understand it's yeah, the ending is I sad. Did too. I did, <laughs> Everything I did, else is silly. Yeah. I, I think, think like, it works well with his, with the zero's personal character development. Cause like yeah. she dies and then he's just like, this old lonely man who still visits his hotel. 
yeah, I did really like that he mentioned he keeps the hotel for Agatha, not for Gustav, which I, I liked that. Oh, it, yeah. So yeah. I, I liked what it led to. It was just kind of like abrupt, like you said, abrupt, but I was like, that's just a really sad thing to like throw in there in a yeah. throwaway line. So, And the very end of the movie, I like this shot. It's young Jude Law, and he's like writing down in his notebook in the lobby of the Grand yeah. Budapest in the 60s, and he's on the left. And then it cuts to him as, like, an old guy with his grandson in his, like, office in his house. And he's, like, on the right. And it's just, like, this really, really nice, like, yin and yang, like, symmetry that Wes Anderson shoots. And yes. Like, oh, yeah. Wow, chef's kiss. Oh, chef's Tony kiss. Gave nice. First chef's I give it a chef's nice. kiss. Nice. chef's kiss. <laughs> and, then it, and then it absolutely ends with the girl sitting in the cemetery reading the book. Yes. And she's on a bench, and she's in the middle of the shot. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, very nice, very nice shots. Very, <laughs> very nice shots to end it. Did you guys have any more hit picture nitpicks? Um, nitpicks. So I liked when Zero got jealous. This is a nitpick. I liked when Zero got jealous of uh, Gustav flirting with Agatha. But there's like it's one joke too many at the end when they're like already married and on the train. I see. Sure, sure, I could see that. I see. I I've already yeah. said some of my nitpicks. Like I don't have any more nitpicks. I kind of just threw them in throughout the review. Luke, do you have any? I think my only one was maybe the ending was a little bit abrupt. And again, it's like a maybe because it flowed well. So I don't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, did, it did flow well, but it was like kind of abrupt. Like it flows with the rest of the movie and the style, but it's like abrupt. Still. Yes, yes. I, I agree. agree with that. Hit picks, uh, hit picks. Hit picks. I, I said all of mine throughout the thing. I think I also I think, said all of I mine. I think I said mine. Okay, <laughs> nice. All right, all Luke, I have picks. a question for you then. Oh gosh! Yeah, is it snowing outside? Why? Because I, I could have sworn it's Hinter Wonderland time. Uh, there it is. <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy that one. Okay, fuck it. We're going into the hint segment where I'm gonna wait, say. Wait, wait, wait! Before the hint, <laughs> what was what was our collective oh, oh, score? I, I have it. I our have collective it. score. Um, I gave it eight point six. Tony gave it nine point one. And Luke gave it 8.8. And the collective score is an 8.83 repeating. That's a pretty good score. Yes, you guys could, should you go should out and see this movie. Very much. And now, uh, yeah, and now into our hints, which I had a Hint very good joke wonder. about. Yeah, yeah you like right. that? Okay. <laughs> Hint number one. Uh, who is it first? Luke first guessing? Yeah, go ahead. Did I guess first last time? I no, I did okay. because I was first. I was like this week. So, like, since you're next... Then you guess first. So, okay. hint number one. <clears throat> Overlook Hotel. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, okay. so it's another hotel one. Or it's a Kubrick film. Oh, and oh, because, oh, oh. Because yes, I know yes. the only... I'm going to go with the Doctor Sleep. Okay, Luke? It no. better not be 2001. It's not. That's my guess. Okay, thank you. <laughs> or, man, I hate on that. So Hint number two. <laughs> Nazis. What is going on? It's Jojo Rabbit. It is Jojo Rabbit. Oh. <laughs> hey, same you were hints. giving pretty uh, pretty confusing <laughs> hints last time, and I'm sure all the viewers were wanting to watch Jojo Rabbit. As so. soon as you gave that same second one, <laughs> I was funny. like, oh, it's Jojo Rabbit. Hey, man, all, they all work for Jojo Rabbit, too, and I'm sure everyone last week was pretty excited, so we got to give it to them. You can watch uh, it on HBO Max. You can watch it on HBO oh, okay. Max. A very good pick for a movie. It's... Oscar nominated. It's Oscar nominated by a director that Luke and I don't like. Well, he did um, 
Yeah, which he did I need to see again. But I, this is a completely different yeah. film, so I'm very excited, and I'm not holding anything against him going in. Let's see so if it I'm changes excited. your opinion of him, because it's... Uh, because he didn't like Thor Ragnarok. Exactly. I liked Thor Ragnarok. I'm sure I like Jojo Rabbit. Most people did. Um, it, it's also like that same humor can work in different movies. So that's why I'm like, it, I, I'm excited for it. So none of us have seen it yet. You could watch it on HBO Max if you want to watch along with us. And we're going to be doing that next week. Thank you for watching along with us. And we will see you next week. Luke, you want to roll this out? And that was tonight's watch. Oh, the best one yet. Goodbye. Goodbye.